0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you are gonna beat them
1: Bengals? What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. It's Crossover Wednesday, which means the second and third segments of the show, as usual, will come from Joe Goodberry crossing over with this week's opponent, the Baltimore Ravens and the Locked On Ravens Podcast. So you will hear from Joe and Kevin talking about the matchup in depth a little bit later, and I get to spend my usual Wednesday five minutes by myself talking about whatever it is I want to talk about. And today I'm going to look at some of the interesting trends and noteworthy series notes from the Bengals and Ravens since the uh, Ravens came into existence 46 Bengals-Ravens games ago or 23 seasons ago. The first matchup between the Ravens and the Bengals this year will break a 23-23 to tie in the series between these teams dating back... 46 matchups or 23 years. The Bengals have been good in the last six years or so, winning nine out of the last 13 contests. And Andy Dalton was pretty good in those games against the Ravens under Marvin Lewis, and they were generally pretty successful. Another interesting note on this series and its history is that the home team is pretty well favored in this matchup historically. The Ravens are 15-8 and eight at home and the Bengals are 15-8 and eight at home. A lot of these games are tight. 13 of the 18 meetings between these teams since Andy Dalton took over for the Bengals in 2010 have been decided by one score or less. So history tells us the Bengals are advantaged recently, and you can expect a reasonably tight game, but the Ravens are favored by a little bit because they're at home. Unfortunately for Bengals fans, this year isn't recent history exactly, but these also aren't the Ravens that we're used to. This isn't a team that's being buoyed by a dominant defense that pulls Joe Flacco in a running game along to victories and staggers to eight and eight, nine and seven, or ten and six every year, sometimes making the playoffs, sometimes just missing. No, if you were paying attention, the Bengals played against Terrell Suggs last week and he didn't do a whole lot for the Arizona Cardinals. And this Baltimore defense hasn't been very good. On the other hand, the offense seems to be a top 10 unit led by Lamar Jackson in a strong running game. Lamar Jackson leads all quarterbacks with over 300 yards rushing, and Mark Ingram is a top 10 rusher in the NFL with, again, over 300 yards rushing. Their special teams are still great, led by probably the best kicker in the NFL, in Justin Tucker, but the defense this year has been struggling. We'll see if that continues against the Bengals, or if it doesn't, but... Departures of key players has left a significant dent in what used to be, and what we got used to as a very formidable defense in Baltimore. And it really starts up front for the Ravens, and I'm sure Joe will get into this in the crossover episode, but Pernell McPhee and Matthew Judon have not been the pass rushers that the Ravens are used to. And then on the back end, Brandon Carr is a solid player, and Marlon Humphrey is a great corner, but they're injured at the cornerback position as well. And to make things worse, the Bengals lost Tony Jefferson to an injury, and so it'll be Earl Thomas back there with some other safety. And Earl Thomas, still great in coverage. I expect him to probably trick Andy Dalton a couple times. We'll see if he gets his hand on the football or not. Hasn't been great as a tackler or in run defense yet. And there's nobody scary at linebacker for the Ravens in what feels like the first time in a pretty long time. Patrick Owasso is the only Ravens linebacker with over a 100 snaps, and he's graded terribly if you go look at pro football focus with a litany of missed tackles and poor coverage marks. He's allowed 22 catches on 23 targets for 287 yards, so there's certainly a vulnerability there. But we thought something similar when the Bengals went against the Cardinals last week, and Hassan Reddick is better than any linebacker's been on the Ravens this year, but the Bengals just didn't attack with their tight ends and running backs in the passing game. And that's somewhere we thought that the Cardinals would be vulnerable. Instead, the Cardinals came out with middle of the field closed coverages and forced the Bengals slow and injured perimeter players without A.J. Green, without John Ross to try to win on the boundary. And the Bengals struggled until late in the game when things opened up in the middle of the field a little bit. We'll see if Zach Taylor has made any adjustments in terms of incorporating the play action game and more intermediate middle of the field passing attack when those linebackers get sucked up. It'll also be interesting to see what kind of personnel the Baltimore Ravens decide to employ on defense when the Bengals have the ball because, like I said, the other linebackers for this team Kenny Young has 99 snaps, Chris Board has 63 snaps, Josh Mines has 42 snaps, so it's not like they're running out a whole bunch of linebackers. For full-time snaps. That might change a little bit this week. Josh Bynes was actually just signed before week five and played pretty well so he'll probably get another handful of snaps or high amount of snaps against the Bengals to see if he can supplement a struggling linebacker core and we'll have to see how that matchup plays out. But when the Ravens have the ball I expect Lamar Jackson's speed to be a major issue and they're just going to run the ball until the Bengals prove that they can stop it. That's been a challenge for the Bengals all year And that's part of the reason that the Ravens are one of the few teams in the NFL that actually have a successful offense predicated on a run game. And I think a lot of that is because the quarterback is a big part of the run game. As a result of that, the Ravens haven't been in a position where they have had to defend the run very much, taking less than 100 total snaps of run defense through five games a season. A lot of that due to piling up big leads early in games. The Bengals will have to start faster in this one. But for more detailed analysis, stay tuned to Joe and Kevin in the Crossover Wednesday episode.
2: Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable... They work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code On to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast.
3: Welcome back everybody to another episode of Locked on Ravens. I'm your host Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire and today it's another Wednesday so that means another crossover. We are here with the Locked on Bengals own Joe Goodberry. Joe how are you today? I'm doing fantastic all things considered after an 0-5 start. Yes, I have to apologize to you for what's been going on down in Cincinnati. It hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows here, but with the Bengals being winless, hopefully that trend continues with me being a Ravens fan. But everybody be sure to follow Joe at Joe Goodberry on Twitter. Amazing content on his Twitter. He writes for The Athletic and also hosts Locked On Bengals Daily, obviously. But Joe, I want to get right into the Bengals offense starting with Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton has had a pretty successful career with the Bengals when it comes to playing the Ravens and the Ravens have been a team that sometimes struggles when they play Cincinnati. How has Dalton looked this year to you? And has it been because of his offensive line that maybe things have not shaken out the way he wants it to do this year?
2: Yeah, I'm going to start with the O-line because it is so poor. It's the worst offensive line he's had in his career, and it's been steadily declining since 2016. So 17, 18, and now 19, it's just been hit with injuries, missed picks, um, not getting the, the production from the first round picks they put out there, which the last two years, Billy Price and Jonah Williams aren't starting for them right now. Jonah's hurt, but Billy Price is backing up both center and guard. So it's had an effect on Andy Dalton. And He's not playing well, to be honest. He had a decent game last week, and really it was against the Cardinals the fourth quarter because they had to settle for field goals three times. They, they had nine points going into the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden, he and Tyler Boyd got on the same page, and next thing you know, they've got two touchdowns in about two and a half minutes, and the game's tied up again, but largely he's been rattled, and He's not comfortable in the pocket at all. And you can't blame him for that. But at the same time, this is the situation. And it's kind of hard because when you have a guy who doesn't do well with pressure and you have a poor offensive line, well, everyone will say that's a bad mix. So how can you be so hard on the quarterback? Uh, Well, because I think we've known this offensive line has been bad for a while. So you kind of need a guy that can overcome it or create some plays. And he's just never been that kind of guy.
3: He's not the most mobile in the NFL, nothing like Lamar Jackson. But let's get into Joe Mixon a bit, the Bengals running back who had pretty high expectations this year, I would say. On the young regular season, he has 66 carries for 242 yards. No rushing touchdowns yet, averaging about 3.7 yards per carry. Has Mixon been as advertised this season? No, I wouldn't say that. He had one carry in the preseason. I think it slowed him down.
2: He came out of the gates rusty. Uh, the offensive line being as poor as it was and still figuring out their combination, their best five starters, and even then they've had some injuries, uh, it's hurt the team a little bit. And it wasn't until the Buffalo game where you could start to see them get it get it together just a little bit. And then the Steelers game, if that didn't get out of hand, I think they he would have had a big day. And then he comes out versus the Cardinals, and the Cardinals are saying at this point, well, you guys haven't been able to run the ball, so we're going to take away the pass. You you go ahead and run it, Bengals, and we'll see if you can beat us with that. And then straight down the field, nine carries for about 60 yards, and and the Bengals get a field goal out of it. But he looked great, and the offensive line was blocking great. And then the, the Cardinals clamped down, and it was a grind for the next 30 yards that ended the game. But Overall, it was his best performance, and it's been a steady increase of them getting on the same page and get his ti- getting his timing down, getting his reads a little bit crisper and cleaner. Really, it's going to come down to, though, he's still not um, helping this team in the passing game, and that's a big thing for me because he was such a good receiver in, at Oklahoma. He sometimes looks disinterested in pass protection, and they can't find creative ways to get the ball in his hands without that Um you know, that, that needed necessity of, well, you got to pick up the blitz. Also, we can't just send you on a pass route all the time. So I think there's a little bit of a combination of blame there. But overall, he should be much better uh, for a guy that I think was on the verge of being maybe their best player on offense.
3: And let's get into the receivers now because AJ Green has yet to play a game this season and he is out for this matchup with the Ravens. John Ross was coming into his own before going down with an injury and he is now on IR. So it's really been on guys like Tyler Boyd and even guys like Tyler Eifert, Joe Mixon to step up. Who should Ravens fans be looking at to be the Bengals main receiving threat this Sunday?
2: Yeah, without A.J. Green, who's really been a Ravens killer uh, plenty of times in his career, he, he's not out there. He'll be out at least one more week. And then John Ross, who seemed to be coming into his own this year, and now he's on IR for you know another seven weeks at least. It's Tyler Boyd only. The other two guys on the outside are, are Damian Willis, who's an undrafted rookie, and Auden Tate, who was last year's seventh-round pick, who is 6'5 and 230, so he can muscle some guys and you can have fun with that because he's got really big, strong hands uh, and can be a red zone threat. But He's not going to scare you deep, and really it's going to come down get down to Boyd in the slot, and they keep him in the slot about 80% of the time they can. Uh, There's even times where they're out there, two wide receivers, he's not on the field because they see him as a slot guy uh, primarily. They did let him get outside a little bit last week without having Green or Ross, and he wasn't as successful. Actually, I'm right about that now for the Athletic. Uh, But when they got him back in the slot and used him to attack safeties and attack linebackers, he was fantastic, and he's been a really good player for them. And he and Dalton just have a a good – connection and they seem to be able to connect on
3: third downs often. The Ravens offensive line this year has been a steady presence but last year they seem to sh- but last week they seem to struggle against the Steelers big boys such as Stefan Tuitt, Cameron Hayward, etc. With Gino Atkins being a guy who has plagued the Ravens for years do you expect the Bengals D-line to get a strong push against the Ravens O-line? The D-line supposed to be the strength of this entire team for the Bengals but they haven't been. Um, for whatever
2: reason they seem to be unsure of what they're doing or not playing full speed. And, and again, they're out there too long because the offense can't get a long drive together. They can't muster a couple first downs on a drive. So the defense has been aired out on a few games, but really they've been attacked horizontally. They've been attacked with speed. They've been attacked with misdirection, um, option stuff from the quarterbacks. It's just chewed them up and kept them at bay. Uh, I'd say everyone right now is having a down year from Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, and Sam Hubbard to the point of, What was a strength on this team is just out there and maybe you notice them one, two, three, a handful of plays in an entire game. It's just inexcusable for how much talent they should have
3: on that front. And it's starting to affect the rest of the defense. Definitely. And then finally, my last question for you is me asking you, who is a Bengals fan, your perspective on what you've seen out of the Ravens this year, specifically with Lamar Jackson, because us Ravens fans, we know what Lamar is capable of, but the outside perspective is a bit different from what we see. So Joe, what have you seen out of Lamar Jackson this year?
2: I was a big fan of Lamar coming out. I actually wanted the Bengals to take him. I hope they would have taken him, uh, and they didn't have the guts to do it. They went with Billy Price after their guy, Frank Regna went one pick ahead of them, and, well, we see where Price is right now. So um, I've always been a fan of Lamar, and now he's on a division rival, so it's hard to really root for him, but when you watch him and – for all the naysayers that were out there, it kind of makes you want to still root for him. And, honestly, he looks like the exact guy I thought he would be at this point. And that's a guy that is cool and comfortable in the pocket, can make things happen, can can run, obviously. We know that. He's a, an elite athlete. But his arm is stronger than people expected. Um, he gets a quick release. Throwing from different angles is what, what I like a lot. And you see even on a bunch of uh, scrambles and runs against the Chiefs, he really showed this a couple times. But he'll step up in the pocket, look like he's going to run quickly snap to set his feet and shoulders and look like he's going to throw and then take off running again. That's something not every quarterback can do. I I complain about this with Dalton where once he becomes a runner, he's a runner. That's it. He's not going to be able to quickly adjust, get his eyes and head up and dump it off. Not often, not as much as you'd like. And with Jackson, it's very natural, very easy. He creates space because he's such an athlete that he even if he's getting pressure, he has more time than the average guy. I'm a big fan of Lamar Jackson. I think as soon as they inserted him into their lineup last year, the Ravens took a big step forward, obviously making the playoffs, but now they've got a great chance to win this division again, two years in a row with him making the playoffs. I think if they can get a couple more pieces around him, and so far it looks like they're building around him
3: really well, but uh, this really to me, I think they, they've got a great plan there and they're on the right path. And if Lamar can get a few more weapons and the Ravens can get a few more pieces, the Ravens are said to be one of the six teams, according to Jason Lockenford, who are going to be active for the trade deadline. So maybe a new weapon will be incoming for Lamar. But Joe, thank you for your answers. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, Joe is going to be asking me some questions about the Ravens from a Bengals fan perspective. So stay tuned for that. And we will be right back.
1: Now we'll take a quick word from our sponsor, MyBookie. It's a new season. There are some players that have moved around, a lot of new faces in the AFC North. Odell Beckham Jr. is here, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are gone. One thing that hasn't changed is where I'm putting my money down on the games, and that's MyBookie,
2: really the best place to bet on football every weekend. MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sport book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least 100000 and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. So if you think you're good at picking
1: against the spread, 100 bucks, do it all season, see if you can win 100 grand. I might give that a try myself. Sounds fun. Besides the super contest, my bookie also has live in-game betting on every NFL game, so if you get the inkling, you have the inclination that the second half of that Seattle Bengals game in week one is going to go a certain way. Go put your money down. You can get up to a $1,000 bonus on your first deposit. You have to make sure you use promo code Locked On to activate the offer when you sign up. So go visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use a promo code Locked On when creating your account to claim your bonus. We'll be right back.
0: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: All right, guys, we're back. This is Joe Goodbye of the Locked On Bengals Podcast, and I am with Kevin Awestriker of the Locked On Ravens Podcast. And this is the Bengals' second division game. Um, if you remember the last one, it was against the Steelers on Monday night where they got embarrassed. So I think we're all hoping for a little bit of more pride, a little bit more effort out of our Bengals this week. But, uh, Kevin, I'd like to talk to you about your Ravens. And really, I want you asked me in the last segment about what I think about Lamar Jackson. But what do Ravens fans, where are they at? Is there any divide? Is there any split? Is there, are there some fans that still don't think he can be it or can be the guy? And uh, how would you assess him so far at this point in his career?
3: Well, I'm sure there are some Ravens fans out there who don't think Lamar is the answer, but the overall consensus among all Ravens fans is that he is, and the thing with Lamar is that he's still so young. He's only 22 years old at the moment. He was born in 1997. And the fact with Lamar is that he's still learning on the job pretty much. He still has less than 15 career starts in the NFL. He had to go into an offense last year that was very tailored around Joe Flacco and still put up very good numbers in that offense. The passing numbers weren't there. But as we're seeing this year, Lamar has kind of transitioned into more of a pocket passer. And that's something that the Ravens fans hoped that he would become. And Lamar Jackson has five interceptions this season. But in my eyes, he's only thrown one in the game against against Pittsburgh. He had one very bad read towards the end of the half where the zone defender jumped on or out, but the other but two of his interceptions were because of uncalled pass interference or what looked to be uncalled pass interference. Another one was tipped and another one was should have been incomplete. The ball hit the ground. So Lamar Jackson in my eyes only has one interception compared to the 11 touchdowns he has in five games this year. And what Lamar has improved on and what he focused on in the offseason was improving his awareness, improving his footwork, and improving his accuracy because we all know Lamar Jackson has arm strength. We saw it at Louisville, and everybody knows his immense talent with his legs. But in order to become a complete quarterback in the league, Jackson had to take that next step. From year one to year two, and so far, with everything being considered, with how young he is and how he's still learning and having that new offense tailored around him, I think he has done an exceptional job leading this Ravens offense.
2: Yeah, and uh, I would say focusing on the running game for the Ravens, uh, a big thing for me, I think went under the radar was that they signed Mark Ingram, and now everyone realizes it now, especially if you got him in fantasy. He's been doing pretty well, but as uh, coming from a team that really doesn't bring in free agents. The Ravens signed Mark Ingram. How has he fit in?
3: How has he helped Lamar Jackson? Does this running game, is it as potent as it was last year? It is. Mark Ingram on the season in his five games has 74 rushes for 372 yards and six touchdowns. That's five yards per carry. And while Ingram struggled a bit against the Steelers in that game on Sunday, he only had 19 carries for a paltry 44 yards, but he did have a touchdown. What the Ravens are using Ingram for is really being that workhorse running back that really isn't a workhorse and what I mean by that is the Ravens have Gus Edwards who came onto the scene last year as an undrafted free agent out of Rutgers and he took uh and he had over 100 carries in Lamar Jackson's starts that he started in and really only lost yards on a carry I think the stat was twice on over 100 carries which is insane in itself But what the Ravens have done with Mark Ingram this year is they've split him out wide they've Put him in the slot on a few occasions as well. He's really a do-it-all running back. He can pass protect. He's one of the best pass protectors in the NFL. But the thing with Ingram is that when he needs a break and he needs to be rested for a few plays, they have Gus Edwards and they have Justice Hill, who was a fourth-round pick out of Oklahoma State in the draft. And what they do with those running backs is they rotate them in in a way where Ingram won't get dead tired every single game to the point where he can't contribute well in the fourth quarter. And that's really been the Ravens' mantra with their cornerbacks. And they've done it a bit with their running backs as well. But what Ingram brings to this team is another bulldozing running back who bounces off defenders, can make it to the outside when he needs to, and just doesn't go down easy. He makes sure he fights for every inch of yardage that he gets, and he's been a really fun presence on the team. The players seem to love him, and the Ravens' culture around Mark Ingram is very, very good. The Ravens have been a very strong culture team over the their entire history, which isn't very long right now, but what Ingram Brinks is a fun-loving guy who works hard, can put his nose down and contribute, and that's all the Ravens could have asked for.
2: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, the, the Ravens are relying on two rookies, really, out of all the draft picks, uh, but at wide receiver with Marquise Hollywood Brown and Miles Boykin. How have they played so far? What's the status of Hollywood? I kind of refer to them as, as the Ravens version of John Ross, as they're kind of similarly built, uh, similar skill set, speed, and injuries have been an issue.
3: Yeah, well, with Hollywood, it's been a thing where his first game of the season against Miami, he went off. He had four receptions for 147 yards and two touchdowns. And everybody thought, okay, the Ravens might have drafted a wide receiver in the first round for once. That's good. And of course, it's unfair to put those assessments on a guy after one game in the league. But then he came back the next week, had eight receptions for 86 yards, including a beautiful 41-yard pass from Lamar Jackson that sealed the game. And what you're looking at with Hollywood is a guy who is pretty small by NFL standards. He's only 5'9 and weighs 170 pounds. But he didn't run the 40-yard dash, but people clocked him in at around a 4'3", 425 area. And he had a broken foot that he suffered in the Big Ten championship game. And so he kind of fell down people's draft boards. And the injury that he aggravated against the Steelers was an ankle injury. I don't think it had anything to do with that foot. But what teams have begun to do is hone in on Hollywood and hone in on Mark Andrews, Lamar's other favorite target. The two guys out of Oklahoma have combined for most of Lamar's attention. And you mentioned Miles Boykin, who's a guy who really needs to benefit from that. Boykin didn't play a lot of snaps against the Steelers. There wasn't any injury that was reported. I just don't think he played a lot. And overall, on the young season, Boykin has... Had two touchdowns on the year. He caught one in Miami and then also against Cleveland. But his highest yardage receiving game is only 32 yards. And with teams honing in on these two targets, Lamar Jackson has to find more people to throw the ball to. And Miles Boykin should be a prime candidate for more looks because of his big body frame. While we mentioned Hollywood was only 5'9", Miles Boykin is 6'4", 220 with speed. And while he's not as polished as a route runner, needs a little more refinement, his drops were a concern but he's a guy who, if you put him in and you get him some reps, he could be a guy who comes in and is a great number two compliment receiver to Hollywood Brown right now. The Ravens don't have a lot of other options. Willie Sneed, Chris Moore, Seth Roberts, those other receivers. And you look at the two rookies and they're hoping that the chemistry that they develop with Lamar Jackson over this season will continue for years to come. Yeah, that makes sense. And
2: I bring up that they added Mark Ingram in free agency, but they lost Terrell Suggs and the linebacker, C.J. Mosley. How have they replaced those two? And is the pass rush something the Bengals uh, have to worry about? I always felt like the Ravens found a way to get a pass rush, even if it was just Suggs and an okay guy, whether it was Matt Judon or Pernell McPhee. Uh, But they were always
3: able to get pressure on the Bengals.
2: How's their pass rush look this year?
3: Well, you mentioned Terrell Suggs and C.J. Mosley as two big losses, and they have been immense. The Ravens actually lost four defensive starters off of their team from last year with Eric Weddle and Darius Smith also joining the two you mentioned. And they've had a little bit of trouble replacing and replicating that talent that they had, partially because they're relying on their young guys, which is something that the Ravens like to do. They like to grow home talent. You mentioned they don't bring in a ton of free agents, a ton of splashy big name signings, because they do so well drafting in the middle rounds, the later rounds. The first round, they haven't hit on a ton of prospects. I mean, obviously, you get your Ray Lewis, your Terrell Suggs, your Jonathan Ogden. But over the last few years, the second round has been a Round where the Ravens have not hit on players, and you're starting to see that, and you're starting to see those misses creep up on the Ravens. Tyus Bowser, who the Ravens selected in the second round out of Houston a few years ago, ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster, who was a player they're rumored to be very interested in, has not performed very well. He hasn't learned to set the edge, and he has a ton of potential. And I'm a, I'm a big Tyus Bowser fan, but him replacing Terrell Suggs as Darius Smith has not gone the way the Ravens have wanted to. They also selected Tim Williams in the next round of that draft out of Alabama, a very competent speed rusher but he did not put it together at all only had two tackles this year and was promptly released last week for lack of production and new general manager eric da has established a culture that if you're not producing and you're not helping the team you have got to go the ravens traded Jermaine Alumar to the patriots in the preseason because he was pretty much handed the starting left guard position and then didn't do anything with it so he was shipped out of town What the Ravens have learned with their defense is that it will take time to rebuild because they lost so many starters on it. The Ravens' pass rush has not been up to standards this year. You mentioned you always feel like the Ravens' pass rush is that dominant force, even if there is an okay guy. But Matthew Judon, who you mentioned, has actually become that alpha guy. He has three Mm -hmm. sacks on the season. And the Ravens only have nine as a team, which does not rank very high. And it seems like every play they send five, six, seven guys, they're not generating any pressure. The pocket is clean. You saw with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges with the Steelers. Even if it's a third-string quarterback, if you ask the secondary to cover for five, six, seven seconds, it's not going to happen because receivers will eventually get open. That happens with every team. With a veteran quarterback like Andy Dalton on the opposite side of the field this week, Andy knows that if his – offensive line can hold up in a way to give him time in the pocket his receivers will get open eventually so in terms of the ravens pass rush and how they plan to replicate what they had last year it's been tough pernell mcfee has come in a guy who was on the 2012 super bowl championship winning team he came back and he has been a steadying force but he's a veteran he can't play that many snaps the ravens need people to step up and if the ravens get into a situation on sunday with the Bengals, where they're not generating where they're not generating pressure it could be trouble for the ravens on sunday
2: Yeah, I guess my last question is, Kevin, um, or maybe it's a question for both of us. What's the prediction for this game on your end?
3: You know, even with all of the defensive concerns that the Ravens have when it comes to the pass rush, I believe that the Ravens defense looked a lot better against Pittsburgh. And I actually predicted a a defensive shutout, which was not really the case. But overall, the Ravens looked better. Their middle linebackers looked sturdier with the additions of Josh Bynes and LJ Fort. And the secondary looked great as well. Marlon Humphrey played amazing. Maurice Kennedy played Earl Thomas looked the part. They did lose Tony Jefferson to a season-ending ACL injury, so young guys will be stepping in there, you know, continuing with that trend of young guys. But I think this will be a Ravens victory because of the fact that the Bengals' offensive line is so beat up and the fact that Andy Dalton does not have weapons around him. I believe that if this defense can hold up and if the defense can hold the Bengals, so let's say even, like, 20 points, if the Bengals can put up 20 points, I still believe the Ravens can come and be in their home stadium with that crowd backing them and give the fans a performance that they've been looking for because last two weeks ago against Cleveland, it was not a pretty sight. And I think the Ravens are looking to redeem their home fans. So if I had to give a final score prediction here, I would say Ravens 27, Bengals 10. What about you, Joe?
2: I was going to say 27-17 and uh, maybe I gave them an extra touchdown there on credit. But uh, the, <laughs> the I don't think people from the outside know that we are talking about them stealth tanking recently Mm -hmm. just some of the decisions they've made some of the things they've done some of the players they refuse to play and just the way they're going about business has been weird and yeah they're not a great team but they i don't think they should be on five and you know some of the guys they've decided okay well take a couple more weeks to get back from your your injury you know let's take it easy this year in a few areas it's been kind of in hindsight, when we look back at it as a fan base, we go, well, maybe they are tanking. Maybe they do want a top five pick. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals go out and lay an egg in this game. Not on purpose. I think the players want to play. Of course they do. Of course They want to win. Um, and it's a division game. Uh, I just don't think they're in position to be good enough to win many games this year. So I'm going to go with uh, 27-17.
3: Well, the Bengals are looking ahead to the draft, Joe. And if you are as well, who do you want the Bengals to take in this year's draft? I know it's early, but if you had to take a guy right now, who would it be?
2: And currently, right now, as we sit, they have the number one pick. And if that's the case, then I'm going Tua completely and saying, let's go quarterback and let's try and flip this thing around and and hope for the best. Uh, But if they end up two, three, four, because they play the Dolphins week 16, so that's going to be the toilet bowl for the the Tua (laughs) bowl, if you will. And if they win that, if they end up a little bit further down, if A.J. Green comes back, they don't trade him and they win a couple games on accident, well, then that depends. Are we looking at a tackle from Georgia? Can you get Chase Young from Ohio State? So
3: both those guys would help if you can't get a Justin Herbert also. This draft is very top-heavy, and whoever the Bengals get, hopefully won't get injured this time around. Yeah, please. And guys,
2: make sure you follow Kevin on Twitter at which goes K O E S T R. E-I-C-H-E-R 34. I'm sure you'll remember all that. But Kevin seems like a good guy. So make sure to give him a follow if you want more Ravens info.
0: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.